what is up? You have found I Like the Blazers. I am your host, Brandon Goldner. And with me again, my not quite co-host, but person who comes on the show more often than anyone else, it's Ryan Whitledge of the Blazer Tag Podcast. Ryan, what's up, man? Uh, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm always the, Hey, somebody, somebody bailed or I want to, I want to bullshit real quick. So, uh, Hey, Whitledge, do you got a couple seconds? <laughs> hey, I have yet to get that last minute call to your pod. So I'm just sitting here. I'm just, I'm just waiting, man. Come on. Let's see it. <laughs> hey, the last time, maybe the last time it, you know, you didn't check your DMS for like three weeks. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. Actually, yeah. So Ryan, he, he had listened to my politics podcast with my brother, um, Remember Poli Sci, and I'd like cracked a joke and, and Ryan said, why are you talking shit about me? I like somehow didn't see it. And so like today when I did go to DM him because someone dropped out for recording today and I was like, uh, he was like, why are you talking shit about me? It's like, what? Like I never saw it. So anyway, yeah, sorry about that. Um, but speaking of things that are super very online, Let's start with NBA Top Shot. We're going to get into talking about coaching and how we think about coaching, but I just want to start here. So NBA Top Shot, if you were to explain, Ryan, what this is to somebody who has no idea, like I didn't know a couple weeks ago, how would you explain what NBA Top Shot is? Digital trading cards, but it's futuristic trading cards for their video highlights. So it's like the Harry Potter moving pictures thing, but you can trade them. Exactly. And apparently where they get their value is they're secured in a blockchain. So yeah, that's that's about as far as my recollection goes. I, I will admit I have put like zero thought into any of this just because maybe I'm now the old guy yelling, get off my lawn. But if I want to see a highlight, I'll go to YouTube and find the highlight. I don't, I don't need to wait in line for two hours to spend $20 on a pack and, and get the, uh, you know, the wait Nick Stauskas highlight reel. I feel personally attacked. There are 94,000 people in line in front of me because I want to buy one of these packs. Yeah, so that's what it, it's digital trading cards, right? That are like little video highlights. And it is, it's so weird because, okay, so they limit how many of them there are. And this has exploded over the last couple weeks and months. Like, I went on the other day when I was first, like, at first, I'm like, I'm not going to learn about this. I refuse. And then it's like, all anyone's talking about, it's like, oh, well, I can't ignore this forever. And so I went on, I like made an account. I'm like, oh, you know what I'll do? Like, they don't have any packs available now. I'm going to buy like a Damian Lillard something, right? Just because Damian Lillard's rad and I want mm -hmm. $60,000, man. Like $50,000, $60,000, like an Ish Smith highlight just sold for $4,000. What is going on? Like, I don't, it's, it's totally and anything, any LeBron, anything like I, I've heard stories of guys getting like, you know, just not even a rare or legendary. Cause apparently we're grading these like Pokemon cards, um, <laughs> you know, LeBron, something like just a, a layup and you can immediately turn around and sell that for like a thousand, two thousand $2,000. And it's just nuts to me. And probably the thing that I, the, the thing that I think is kind of, weird slash cool about it is like the uh you know the the jersey number correlations so it's like hey if this highlight dunk is you know lebron scoring or you know scoring his you know 23rd point like that increases the value of it i don't know either way well, it's the i'm the old I mean, curmudgeonly guy i don't get it it's, it's it's outside me it's the same thing as when we were kids i don't know did you collect basketball cards like because i 
definitely did. I don't know if you did or not, but that, like the serial number, right? Like if it was limited and it was like one, like that would be worth a lot. Or like Michael Jordan, if it was like 23, like that would be worth more. Yeah. Based on the, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I was, I was more into the baseball cards end of the spectrum than the basketball cards, but, That's but yeah, but at least concept. with cards that makes sense to me because, it, and again, call me the old guy. It's a physical tangible asset. When you tell me it's rare or it's one of a kind, I am literally holding the one of a kind. And where my brain just fries out thinking about this is like, if you tell me I have a one of a kind, uh, you know, NBA player, you know, top shot clip, then why can I go watch it on YouTube? Well, you definitely can, right? Like it, that is the odd part about this. It's like your, suspension of disbelief that this whole thing is going to collapse, which it absolutely will at some point, right? It's almost like it really starts making you think about the currency that we use, right? Money. Like it used to be based on a gold standard and then it was just like whatever, like the Federal Reserve is just making this stuff up and you had dollar bills mm-hmm. and coins and now it's all digital. Like our entire economy, our entire society is built on a collective trust in something that like we can't feel or smell or touch. And it is weird. And so meanwhile, yeah, I'm here like waiting for this top shot pack to drop. So this is a one more little thing about this and we'll get into coaching, but this is a common pack. So it's, I think it's $9. They had a drop yesterday. That was like a rare, a more rare pack. And it was limited to like the first 11 or 12,000 people. It was like a hundred bucks. And I was waiting in line just to see what would happen. I was so far back in line. I didn't come close, but meanwhile, they have set this up so that as long as you wait long enough, you're guaranteed to get this Mm -hmm. pack. And obviously the thing is the more of these they produce, like the less valuable they become. Right. So it's like, I don't have any like delusions that I'm going to make money off of this or anything. I just, I I just think it's interesting that so many people so quickly have gotten so interested in it. And I just couldn't let it, I couldn't let it just float by. I had to participate somehow. You know, I want to be one of the cool kids. The, uh, the the proof of concept, I believe that the, either the creator or co-creator of this NBA top shot, he had a proof of concept that ran back in 2016, maybe 2017. It was called, I think crazy kitty. And it was this same kind of, like well yeah proof of concept but with digital beanie babies yeah i mean that and that that went absolutely crazy for like a year and then it just tanked out so which is what's going to happen here like it, like you said like if i want to watch a highlight i can do that anywhere actually just if you don't already know maybe you do if you want to find like a specific play in a specific game, if you go to stats.nba.com, it's kind of like the advanced stats portion of the NBA's website. You can then go to the game and look at every single play has a video for every assist, every steal, every dunk. Um, it's actually really, really cool because you can just click on it and it's right there. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, we'll see. It's it's all confusing to me. Also confusing to me, Ryan, has been the roiling debate amongst Blazers Twitter about Coach Terry Stotts. Here's what I'm going to do. I want us to spend basically the entire episode talking about how we think about coaching and how we kind of watch the game. What are the different things that go into figuring out whether or not like you and I think a coach is, you know, quote, good or bad. What I don't want to do is spend a lot of time like debating or supporting the conclusion that we come to. I think that we all like, basically I don't want to say, Oh, Stotts is good. And here's why Stotts is bad. And here's why we can do a little bit of that. I think we do that enough. I want to really dig into the ways in which we think about it because I have never, 
I've been on Twitter for a long time, like in like Twitter years, you know, like I've been there mm-hmm. for like six, seven, eight years. And I can't remember a time where the Blazers community has been so split and so angry about something. It's really kind of odd. Um, Welcome to modern times. Well, yeah. And like, I mean, obviously, like there's always something that people can debate and argue about, but it's just, it's gotten a a very strong this year in particular. Um, So here's where I want to start. I want to start with like just asking you a question because I know like I don't know about you I can't watch every minute of every game I just I'm not able to do it I I did in years past I can't do it this year but I want to ask when you're watching a game how is it that you're watching are you watching just kind of in the background are you watching more as a fan are there things you're looking for like when you're looking at when they're running the offense or, or, or defense like are you stopping and going back and like basically when you're watching a blazer game like what does it look like like take me into the ryan whitledge household when you're watching a blazers game <laughs> uh when i watch a game i watch it for enjoyment as a fan and i understand that yes you know i talk on other people's podcasts i talk on my own podcast but i don't ever sit down with the intent to be like i want to see what this game plan is or i want to see how they're going to attack you know this defender or whatnot i sit down i cuss at them when they make stupid plays i stand up and clap and hoot and holler when you know they make good plays and score points you know just no different than if I was at the arena. It doesn't mean that I don't notice things, you know, don't notice certain schemes, but it's not something that I necessarily set out to do. And for me, one of the more confusing things, regardless of which side of the, you know, the fire stops or keep stops aisle that you're on, because apparently you can only have two views and you can't ever have them overlap, is <laughs> exactly. how anyone can sit down and watch a game and then just hop online or whatnot just to try to shove it in the face of you know the other side of like oh well you know look at this this is you know this is why my point's right and it's this you know this x y and z and everybody else is stupid and that kind of stuff i'm like i could never hate watch a game like i would never watch a sports team again if i was you know doing it to hate watch basically like if you take if no matter what side like you see it more on with people being critical of stats um I I would I could not be that kind of fan per se. It, it would take away my enjoyment to the sport to be that critical and that analytical of it. That's fair. I, I will say to your point about like you're watching the game and you hop online when something happens that kind of fits what you already believe. I mean, that's confirmation bias. And I think we all Mm -hmm. suffer from that. Right. I do. Oh yeah. Like, and it doesn't matter if it's about coaching about something else. Like if I have a thought in my head about the game and I see it happening, I'm probably going to fire a hot tweet about it. It's like you buy a new car and suddenly you're seeing that car like everywhere. That's, that's a a form of confirmation bias. Um, It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that there are more of those cars means you're thinking about it. But back to your point about kind of like watching and your enjoyment as a fan, like are there ever times that you go back and look at the replays? I mean, you hear coaches talk about this a lot in post game people say, well, what did you think about this defense? They threw at you and the coach will kind of right after the game, like, well, I have to go back and look at the film. And these are professional. I mean, these are professionals. These are people who are doing this for a living. They have to go back and look at it. Is that ever something that you take time to do? Or is that just like too much? I, I do it occasionally. I mean, me, I make it a point to watch every single game there. I, 
for the last three years, I haven't missed, I think I've missed maybe a quarter of a game. So I'm already devoting enough of my time <laughs> to sitting down and watching it. Um, there are a couple, couple times where I've been like, well, that, you know, I'll hop back and be like, wait, I want to see something again. See, because, and it's more along the lines of if I'm reading like somebody's recap over at Blazer's Edge or I'm reading an article and they reference something and they point out something that maybe I didn't notice in the moment. I was like, oh, interesting. And I'll go back and find it and watch that kind of thing. But I, I don't make it a point to be, you know, to sit down like a coach and review all the game tape and be like, here's where improvements could have been made. Well, let me ask you one more thing and I'll admit um, a weakness of mine is someone like if, if you're thinking about watching the game to like be able to see stuff that's happening. A weakness of mine is that sometimes it's hard for me to see all of the different actions of even just the five players on the Blazers to see how they all got to a certain space. Like at the end, like what I mean is like yesterday I was watching the Blazers Lakers game and I noticed that there was a, a Lakers player who was like super old. I was Marcus all was super ultra open for three. I mean, Gary Trent jr. Had had for whatever reason rotated to him, but GTR was like all the way in the key. Marcus all was at three. I mean, he was like multiple, multiple steps away. And when I paused, I was like, how did he get, how did Gary Trent jr. Get all the way down there so far away. And I realized that I didn't catch it. So like, I, I I, I think that some people are able to absorb more pieces of the game at the same time as it's happening than other people. And maybe I'm just like one of those people who either gets tunnel vision or whatever. Like, do you ever find that? Like, are there times, I mean, I, I want you to say, yes, Brandon, you're not weird, but like, are there ever times when you're like watching the game and it's like, I don't, I don't understand how that person got there. Like, or, or are you able to kind of absorb it all as it's happening? I kind of I'm I'm able to kind of absorb it all as it's happening. Dang it. Uh where Come on, where man. But, you're leaving me on an island it, over here. <laughs> but where it did where it did get me because they were one of the all-time bests at doing it uh was back um in the you know year 2 of the Warriors championship run. Was it year 2, year 3? I don't know. Whatever the the year that they got Kevin Durant. They had so much action because all their players were so good at being off the ball and every one of them was able to be like a, a pivot slash point man or whatnot that I, I'd i be sitting there, I'm, I'm watching Curry run off action and suddenly got Clay Thompson, you know, that's sitting wide open at the top of the key. And I, I'm like, well, I oh, okay, right. yes. So it, it did happen, but it... That was also a a historically good offense and an historically good team. So I'm going to assume that they're going to be able to confuse people from time to time. Not so much anymore. But. Right. And and like my point with so I guess you're special and I'm not, but like the <laughs> the point that's, is that's that what everyone tells me. <laughs> <laughs> the point is that even when you're a viewer and you are able to see the entire court. Even then, it can be difficult in the moment to see all of what's happening, even for five people, let alone for 10. And I guess what I would offer with this is a couple things. A, like as fans or analysts, that everybody has a different way of watching the game and everyone is able to pick up on certain things maybe better than others or in different ways than others. And I think because of that, we as viewers, as people who are like forming opinions about stuff, we may be forming different opinions because the way we take in information is different, right? So that's yeah. part of it. 
And the other part is now imagine that you're on the floor, you're a player, you're a coach, you're a, you know, an official. Now you're not able, you're not hovering above the, like Terry Stotts is not wearing a jet pack, you know, hovering above the court. You don't see Brad Stevens in a blimp, like floating above the court. Like they are kind of over to the side. They're able to see as much as they can from that, that vantage point. And the same thing with officials. Why are there three officials? Because not one official can see all of the action at the same time. It's not humanly possible. And so I guess what I would just say is that like when we're thinking about like, I wonder how that person came to this very different conclusion about we both saw the same game, right? We're taking in information differently. We're seeing it differently and different things are going to hit different. And like, I would just say that that is a big reason why some people just can't understand why I don't understand why you don't agree with me about this. It's because we're taking in the game differently. That's just, that's just reality. So I, I know it's a little weird, well, yeah, but it, like I wanted to start there. But, but again, too, if you sit down with the intent of like, if I'm sure if I sat down with the intent to just do nothing, but watch blazers, defensive rotations, I am going to learn a lot more or be able to nitpick a lot more than if I just sit down and watch a game with, with that wider lens, like you just talked about, you're able to pick up on it, on, on things and faults and whatnot. If, if you want to in anything, if you can, or if you're focusing on that and trying to see where there's area for improvement, not saying that there's not, but you know, totally. And like, I, I forget which podcast it was, but they talked about that very thing where sometimes they will watch the game just to look at a particular player only on defense, right? Or like a particular Mm -hmm. two players only on offense. So it's like really focusing on the off ball action. And it just, it gives you a different way of taking in stuff. And like, I guess ultimately to, to like close this piece out, I would argue that it's nearly impossible to get a full view of what happened during a game by only watching the game one time as it's happening. I think it, it, it requires going back and probably running through certain plays multiple times, perhaps, which is why a coaching staff, for example, has a video coordinator and multiple assistant coaches, right? Like an offensive person, a defensive, like that's why it's Mm -hmm. because it's just not possible to do all at once. Um, So with that, Let's go into thinking about how we evaluate coaching. And I guess I wanted to start with just kind of rattling off, like when we're thinking, hey, Brandon, or hey, Ryan, like, is this coach a good coach? What types of things are we considering when we're coming to this conclusion about whether or not they're a good coach? And here are a couple of things that came to my mind. I wanted to see what you thought of these or, you know, add or subtract. So you have like their creativity and their ideas and the schemes that they use. You have Mm -hmm. their knowledge of the league and how things are trending, right? Like different teams doing different things and being able to counter that. Uh, Emotional maturity, like flexibility and keeping people bought in. Holding people accountable for doing what you as the coach want them to do. And then like winning and losing because ultimately basketball is about winning games and losing games. Um, Mm -hmm. Like what, what do you think about that? Like, and is there anything else when you're thinking about if someone asks you whether or not someone's a good coach are there other things that might come to mind or any of those that you think are like particularly interesting 
Uh, one of my biggest things for coaches has always been, does a coach understand what he's good at and does he understand his areas of weakness? And it, for, because a lot of, a lot of guys, you know, coaches in all of sports, you know, you see it a little bit more in NFL kind of stuff. They think that they are the, you know, the hottest thing since sliced bread and they know everything on the planet and everybody else is an idiot. So being able to admit that you have a fault and then be able to kind of maybe hire somebody who's better in the area that you're weaker in to balance out. That's a big thing for me in, in coaching. And I don't think that Stotts has done that necessarily well this year, but I don't, I think he's handled that well over the totality of his coaching career uh, here in Portland. But that that's a big thing for me is uh, do you have the hubris enough to be able to identify your weaknesses and address them? Yeah, I think that's a really fair point. And that's true in basically every work environment and not just sports, right? Like as a supervisor or as a leader, if you're not very good at something that needs to be done, like having someone else who's better at it, giving them the space and the autonomy to do it is actually really, really important in the whole group being successful. Um, so yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, something just to kind of, I wanted to zoom in on, like I put in our little Zencast chat, those, those categories I rattled off, but like thinking about the knowledge of the NBA and knowing trends and being able to counter them. I guess what I'm thinking about is like, if you imagine back during the seven seconds or less, um, sons, right. Mike D'Antoni's offense, he had Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire and Sean mm-hmm. Marion and, and the like, like it was funny because they were able to take advantage of the way the rest of the league had been operating, the kinds of players that were playing, the kinds of schemes that were being run and do something that specifically hit at a lot of those weaknesses And the NBA as a whole didn't really adapt all that much to what the Suns were doing. But then you saw a few years later when the Warriors came along and they had even more success than the Suns did that a lot of what the Warriors did, you know, with like playing really fast, a ton of ball movement, you didn't have a traditional center anymore. You had like a playmaking center in Draymond Green who could like, you know, go all the way up and kind of operate from the high post rather than just like stay back the whole time that the NBA started to take notice and started to adapt. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know this is a kind of a weird question, but I just like what, like as a coach, like how much of this is like, I believe in my system and we're going to do it because we're good at it. Like how much of it is that? And then how much is like, Oh wow. Like I can really see where the NBA is going and I need to change what I'm doing in order to follow that. Like, how how do you strike that balance? Like, I know that neither of us are professional coaches, but, like, when you're thinking about this, like, as just a Blazers fan, like, how stubborn a coach is or how flexible they are, like, how important is that when you're evaluating a coach? I mean, it's it's massively important. Uh, you don't see it, and again, it, it, it the biggest coaching balls always seem to lie in the football world. But, you know, when you were describing that, that also kind of brought me back to like when the, uh, when the ducks under chip Kelly, when they, uh, you know, were instituting that, that super, super fast, super quick offense. And you had all the coaches over in the sec, you know, Nick Saban going, Oh, that's going to get a guy hurt. That's going to get a guy injured. That's not how to play football. What are they all doing now? Everybody's running that quick strike offense. So uh, being, I, I think the NBA is a lot more fluid um, in how coaches change um, and how they adapt to the system. I mean, we aren't seeing any team that is spending all their time 
running back to the basket, you know, post plays or anything like that. Everybody's adopted the three pointer and heaven forbid when the league puts in a freaking four point line back at half court, they'll adopt that <laughs> then too. But uh, no, I, I, I think everybody's, everybody's kind of melded with melded with the, uh, um, the changes and whatnot quite well overall in the league. So that's a little harder for me to like yeah. judge it in terms of NBA coaching, because I haven't necessarily seen some old curmudgeon coach be like, Nope, that's not my style of basketball and we're not going to play it. Right. Well, and like connected to all of that too. Like, I think that when we're evaluating a coach, we can't forget that a lot of that stuff depends on the players that you have. Right. And most, mm -hmm. most NBA coaches don't get to pick the players. I mean, they may have some say, but ultimately it's somebody else's job. So like you could have dope ideas and you can know how to communicate them and know how to keep all your entire team bought in. But then like the group changes and the ideas don't work so well, or the attitude changes or the effort level changes. And like all of that is happening. Your roster is changing as the league is also changing. Right. So like, I think it's important to like share and I think I think most people know this but just to, to like hammer it that coaches the things they want to do are going to be dependent on things outside their control whether it's what is happening with the league whether it's the players their GM is giving them whether it's the players themselves being in a certain state or having certain needs and wants and like that's where it gets into the that category of like a coach having emotional maturity a coach having flexibility and a coach mm -hmm being able to keep their entire team bought in because I would, th I, I think that most people who I said, I wasn't going to do too much of this, but just to say that I think most people who support Terry Stotts as a coach think that he's really good at that emotional maturity and keeping people bought in part of it. Um, and I, I just, I don't know what you think about that. And like, again, maybe there's a balance between, how can you get people to do the thing I want to do balancing that with, I can see who my players are and I am flexing to them and keeping them motivated. Like how, like when you're thinking about that, how much does that come into your mind when you're thinking about how good a coach is? Mm -hmm. Well, I know it's a tough one for me. I don't, I don't try to give Stotts in this case, a pass as much as he's maybe gotten in years prior by, by saying like, Oh, well look at the personnel. You know, especially when I think that they have very good personnel. It just so happens that right now that the second and third best player are sitting on the bench with casts on various part of their bodies. Um, but as a coach, you can't coach quickness. You can't coach lateral movement. You can't coach somebody's ability to jump higher. You can't, you know, what you can do is you can, you know, get a strength and conditioning coach to work on their muscles and hope that that works out. You know, you, you can't coach somebody per se to be a better three point shooter, but you can coach their shooting mechanics in the hopes that it will raise their three point percentage. And so when you try to basically what I'm saying is that you have the players, but you have you can have your system, but your your system also needs to take into account the capabilities of <clears throat> of your players. And especially in the case of the Blazers, there's a lot of thought out there that, OK, well, Stotts' philosophy is always OK. Well, you know, I guess we just have to go let Dame save us. But 
for some perspective on that is that's analytically the smartest thing to do. I mean, I got the, some numbers here. It's I believe they were from right before, or right after the Suns game, so they may be dated a little bit. But um, LeBron James, over the course of this season, he's shooting 49.2% from the field, 39.3% from deep, and he has 74 points in 78 minutes of clutch minutes, so in the last five minutes. Um, And the Lakers are plus 52 when he's on the court over that. Okay. That's fantastic stats. Lillard is shooting 61.5% from the floor, 58.8% from deep, and is a perfect from the uh, free throw line. But in 59 minutes, he has 82 points. So in almost you know 20 minutes less, same amount of point output. Right. Um, and he's also, so yeah, he's taken 22 shots. Lillard is great in those late game situations. So when you want to criticize Stotts for being like, oh, well, he's just going to let Dame bail him out. You know, why doesn't he run this or run that or whatever? Well, because if you're going to sit down and look at raw basketball numbers and productions from your players, your best chance is for Lillard to bail you out. Um, one of the other things, that I see a lot of criticism from or for is why doesn't Stotts do more to, you know, run Lillard through more off ball action. Well, we tried that years ago. That's why we brought Evan Turner in. He was supposed to be a point forward, take the ball out of Dame's hands, get him off ball a little more, but Dame, and this, I, this is a, you can take this as a personal opinion on if you want to have this be uh, indemnifying of a coach. Dame is not an off-the-ball player. He does not like to be off the ball. It is not where he's comfortable. You can't just say, well, why don't we coach him to be like S- Steph Curry? and run around so much off the ball. That's just not who he is. That's not where he excels. Maybe he doesn't have the stamina for it like Curry does, whatever. You can't coach him to be like that. So you don't want to put your best player in a position where he's weak or where he's not comfortable. It's also why you see him do a lot of pick and rolls because Dame is one of the best pick and roll point guards in the league. So there are criticisms that are out there and things that you can levy on the coach of why doesn't he do these things differently. But to your point of personnel, you need to coach your players in what they're good at and make them great at it. And that's where I do think Stotts is successful. And another thing you could point to with that would be like Cantor. You know, Cantor does not play well for anyone in the league except the Blazers, it seems like. So, you know, Stotts is coaching the most out of him that he can get. Well, and let's I do want to actually get into in just a second. Um, specifically Stott's strengths and weaknesses. I think you hit on some of them just a second ago. Before we do that, I I do want to like zoom in one more time on the emotional maturity and kind of keeping buy-in piece of this Um, when we are evaluating any coach. um, And and here's why. For example, you can have a coach that has a team with a superstar player and that coach defers to that superstar. And one example of that, and this is an older one now, but Doug Collins with the Bulls when Michael Jordan Mm -hmm. was on that team in the late 80s. So Doug Collins basically let Michael Jordan do what he wanted to do However, Doug Collins, by many accounts, all accounts, is not the most emotionally mature person. He was a bit of a hothead. He may have not been able to keep the entire team 
bought into a common vision, even though he was a really good coach, maybe for Michael Jordan as an individual. I mean, some of Michael Jordan's most incredible scoring stats came from from those late 80s years before Phil Jackson got there. And I guess Mm -hmm. what I would say is like when we're thinking about what makes like a, a player's coach, I think it's more complicated than, oh, like he allows their best players to do whatever they want. Um, And it's also more complicated than, well, he's able to hold the best player accountable. Your point about like Dame coming off ball and Steph Curry does it, Dame doesn't. Just to play devil's advocate, you know, maybe there Mm -hmm. is a hypothetical coach that is able to push Damian Lillard to do that even if he doesn't want to. Um, and that maybe Stotts is not able to do that. I mean, I would argue that generally I would defer if you have a player of Damian Lillard's caliber that you just kind of defer to what they want to do because they are transcendently good at basketball. Um, mm-hmm. But but all, and we're going to get into Stotts specifically like right now. But my my point is when evaluating a coach, whether it's their creativity, the schemes, how well they know the league, where the league is going, how flexible they are, holding people accountable whether or not the team wins and loses, which we didn't even talk about, all of those can be used to then tally them all up, weight them all differently, and then say, boom, this is a good coach, or boom, this is not a good coach. I I guess my point is, Ryan, that like evaluating a coach is super complicated. That's all. And like, I, like if that, that would be my takeaway from this. It Um, is, uh, there, the, the one thing that, that anybody cares about though, winning. You can be the worst coach in in every one of those checkmark boxes. If you win, nobody cares. Right. And, and I think, like, for <laughs> example, if you had a coach that was, like, a super jerk and, like, Dame hated him and the fans hated him, but the Blazers were, like, going to the finals, I think – no one would care. I would care. I mean, I would care. Right. Like, no. and so, yeah. And ultimately like winning in the playoffs specifically, I think does cure a lot of things. Um, but the point is that it's not just about winning or losing, right? Like I, I, I think there are some folks and maybe I fall victim to this who will look at winning and be like, well, you know, therefore the coach is great because they're winning games. Again, it's it's not just about that. There are lots of things that can go into a win or a loss. Some of them have to do with the coach. Some of them have to do with the player. Some of them have to do with luck. Some of them have to do with the other team, blah, 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 the schedule. And it is one thing among many, and I would agree with you, that like ultimately it's about winning. Like at the end mm-hmm. of the day, it's about winning, but it's evaluating a coach. Is, it's complicated. Um, so with that in mind, let's now do talk about the strengths and weaknesses of Coach Stotts. Let's go, let's, let's go back to what you were just saying a second ago, that Damian Lillard doesn't really prefer to play off the ball and therefore he he doesn't play off the ball um here's an interesting quote from yesterday actually from from Dwight Jaynes he asked coach Stotts uh in the post-game interview yesterday when the Blazers lost to the Lakers he said the Lakers were blitzing pick and rolls and doubling Damian Lillard so why coach Stotts are you running so many pick and rolls inviting that blitz and the double and the response from Stotts was, it's what we do. Uh, you said this, Ryan. Damian Lillard is one of the best pick-and-roll players in the league. He usually finds a way to score. He finds kickouts. He found Ennis Cantor a few times. And Stotts also said that when we run those plays, it's not necessarily for Dame to be a scorer, but for him to be a, a facilitator. And also Stotts said that we tried to move Dame off ball a little bit when Rodney Hood was in the game with Rodney Hood being the ball handler. 
how does that answer sit with you? Like, is that a good enough answer? Because I kind of agree with the premise of what Dwight James was saying is that Damian Lillard gets trapped, blitzed, doubled a lot, and it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like the Blazers are super prepared for it all the time. How do you think about Stotts's response to that question? Is that is that a good enough answer for you? It's not a good enough answer, but it does not upset me or shock me because while we would, again, in evaluating a coach's strengths and weakness, one of Stotts' biggest weaknesses is he doesn't do well with media. And if you get a hard question, if you, get, if you don't give him a softball, easy answer one, if you get critical of him, he tends to be a bit of an asshole. So I'm, you know, that sounds like it's a fair question from Dwight James. He's just doing his job. Um, Stotts doesn't want to answer it. So he's going to give that what he gave as, as that answer. Um, How I, how I feel about that in general is there's um, uh, Michael Pena and sports illustrated. Uh, He had, that's where I was getting some of those numbers from that I was reading off earlier. Further on down that article, he talks about the fact that uh, Damian Lillard is, has, Let's see. His exact quote is, nobody splits traps more ruthlessly or efficiently than Damian Lillard this season. So if they're not countering for these traps, Dame has proven to be one of the best players in the league at handling a trap and handling a blitz, passing out of it, shooting out of it, you know, just splitting it and making his way down the middle. Um, when teams are trapping him, they're trapping him higher up. They're damn near trapping him at the at half court. Now, yeah. that does open up the court. It doesn't always work to perfection, but it still works most of the time. And in the game of basketball, as long as you can get something to work most of the time, you're doing it well. That's no different than shooting. If you can happen to make most of your shots, you're doing well. If you miss most of your shots, you're doing poorly. So with the execution of handling traps, you know, if you get more hits than misses, then then you're doing it well. It doesn't mean that, you know, him not necessarily changing his scheme per se is um is the right decision but it, again i just if everything's going to run through dame right now especially with nurk and cj being out wh- how is dame producing what level is he uh playing at and is he keeping the team afloat while playing within his own game yes right and, and i so Again, just to take another view, and I'm not saying I agree or disagree with what you just said or with what I'm about to say, but remember that game recently the Blazers played against the Philadelphia 76ers where Damian Lillard was out, right? He didn't play. Mm -hmm. And the Blazers won that game. And it seemed to me that the Blazers had more movement. And, you know, with Damian Lillard not being in there, and I, I, I kind of understand on the one hand, well... You have to do that because Damian Lillard's not there and Damian Lillard probably prefers to play a certain way. He's your best player. He's a Mm -hmm. superstar, so you're going to play that way. On the other hand, it did kind of make you think, well, geez, like, what if the Blazers were able to do this with Damian Lillard in the game? Like, wouldn't wouldn't they be unstoppable then? Like, do you have an opinion about that? Would you take, how much would you take away from that, that win against the Sixers when Dame didn't play? Well, I liked it because shortly before that, we had heard, you know, through, you know, because of, I think, 
the Memphis games that had gotten canceled shortly before that or postponed, the Blazers actually had more time to practice. And uh, I believe there was uh, some chatter that the Blazers were trying to get more ball movement and, uh, and rotations out of the second unit. And, in that Philly game, that was basically the second unit playing as starters. So it was nice to see that there was a talk about some form of an offensive adjustment and see it be executed. Um, I, I think they try to run that more. Now here's where you can again have a criticism, but uh, you have two balls or you have one ball stopper on the, uh, on the second unit offense. When it hits Mello's hands, it's probably not going to leave Mello's hands. Um, take of that what you will. Unless um, it's the a shot. other guy, in, unless it's a <laughs> shot, which yeah, good or bad, it's going to be a shot. No, but um, another guy who's supposed to be on the second unit, but because CJ's out is not, is Gary Trent Jr. And uh, Gary Trent Jr. averages like less than an assist a game, I believe. The ball is not leaving his hands. So yes, it is. And those are weird tendencies where you can't coach it out of them. But also in this case with injuries, you can't necessarily bench them because you're not going to get much better regardless of what you think with CJ Ellaby and, you know, Kelvin Blevins, <laughs> you got eight, you got eight, nine guys in your rotation. That's what you got to work with right now. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm pro more ball movement. I liked when I saw that in that Philly win, I also, um, but obviously they've went away from it a lot more recently. I think heck the bench scored, 12, 13 points in total last night against the Lakers. Obviously, you're not getting a lot of ball movement out of that. Ball movement does lead to scoring. You know, those isolation plays that we see a lot that we all, especially with Mello, where somehow he's end up triple teamed down in the post and he's still doing a fader or fadeaway uh, turnaround. You know, yeah, sure. Maybe pass out of that, but. Right. Well, like, I mean, you, you hit on it and we've hit on it that like the fact that Terry Stotts as a coach you know, we're talking about his strengths and weaknesses. One of his strengths, I think, could be that he maximizes what Damian Lillard can do. I think that most people would agree now that Damian Lillard is like a top five NBA player or very, very close to it. Like, he's in that conversation in a way that the Blazers haven't had a player like that since Clyde and before that, Bill Walton, right? So, like, mm-hmm. he is one of the best players in the league. And if your coach is able to maximize that player and get the buy-in from that player, if your player is that good, I think that that needs to be something about your coaching that is successful, right? Um, Talking about some other strengths of Stotts, and I just uh, maybe I'll rattle off a few and you tell me whether or not you agree with this. Um, Player development, right? Or, or Or maximizing players that are not like, you would not think are like amazing players that Terry Stott seems to get the best out of lots of different kinds of players. Would you agree that that's something that he's pretty good at? Just like if you're zooming back and looking at the last 10 years. Yeah. Especially with player development, the Blazers have, I, I've long made the joke that we are the, uh, the minor league basketball program for all players who go on and have careers outside of the trailblazers, especially right. if we draft him, if we draft him and let him go. Yeah. They will, they will turn into good basketball players, good and serviceable. Yeah. I mean like, look, uh, look at the most recent example, Gary Trent jr. He's going to get paid and he was a second round pick, right? Like, I mean, you can, mm-hmm. 
say part of that was good drafting, which it definitely was, but also, and part of it was opportunity, but like, that's, that that's, that's important, right? I mean, CJ McCollum yeah. born and raised in Portland, well, not born, drafted and developed in Portland. I don't know why I say born and raised. Um, and then you look at other players like, you know, your Mo Harkless's, your Alfred Caminus of the world who had really good seasons and success here. Not so much maybe in other places. I think that the Blazers did a good mm-hmm. job when Seth Curry was on the team briefly. I thought Mason Plumley was as serviceable in Portland as he's ever been in his career or close to it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, so I would say that's, that's something that coach Stotts does well. I would also say that Nas, Nas Little is another one too. Nasir that just Little? Popped yeah, in my no, head. for sure. Yeah. Because I mean, when he was drafted, everyone's like, okay, but the man has no three point shot. And if you go back and look at any of his three pointers from last season, <laughs> right. Compared to this season, he has massively improved his shots. So there you go. Player development. Yusuf Nurkic. I mean, that was not only him getting better and developing, but also it kind of connects to that buying into the team. Like his career mm-hmm. was about to be, you know, over. I mean, Denver didn't want him anymore, right? Like the star of that trade for Portland at the time was not Nurkic. It was the pick. And I think yeah. Stotts deserves credit some credit maybe not all some credit for that so i think that yeah so player development and maximizing players that maybe have been marginalized i think is something he does well something else i think stotts does well and this kind of works directly against his potential weakness as a strategist but stotts i think does a really good job of giving players room to create on their own that he has created a system where players feel comfortable playing their game and not being on a super short leash. Would you agree that that's a strength of his? Uh, depends on who the player is that you're talking about being on a super short leash. Uh, flashback true. to no farther than Myers Leonard, who would get the quickest of yanks uh, early in use of Nurkic's uh, tenure here. You saw him get some quick yanks if he was making lazy rotations. Um so yeah, well, it like, kind of depends. I mean, okay, he, that's fair. he's, he's yeah. been he's been known to to he gives players a lot of freedom, but if if you continually fuck up and he has the bodies and and capable players on the bench to yank you and replace you, you will be yanked and you will be replaced. And maybe like uh, maybe this could even be seen as a weakness, but he tends to give his best players freedom, right? Like you're not seeing CJ McCollum or Dame being chastised. Like there are some coaches who do take that approach. I mean, I think, you know, Greg Popovich was absolutely Mm -hmm. not afraid to like call a super ultra fast timeout and be like, what the fuck are you guys doing? It didn't matter if it was Tim Duncan or Tony Parker or Manu, like he would do it. Right. And like, yeah, that could be a strength. That could be a weakness. There were some players who didn't mesh well with Greg Popovich. Like some players didn't mesh well with Rick Carlisle in Dallas, for example, who's also, you know, that type of coach. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Are there any other major strengths to Stotts as a coach that come to mind that we haven't talked about. Um, like if you were, whether or not you think he's a good coach on the whole that like, Oh, coach Stotts specifically is good at, at this. Does anything come to mind? Uh, and if not, that's fine. One. Like we've talked a lot. No, <laughs> it, it's just, I'm not entirely sure how to word it because for as much as I also think it's a strength, I or that. I think it's a strength. I also think it is a weakness and it, it's a, it is a little bit of the fact that, his his offenses seem so stagnant and they don't change a lot yeah but at the same point in time i think uh this is a a little tip 
from uh, Jason Quick here the other day. Uh, as of, let's see, this was from right before the Suns game. Uh, the lineup that the Blazers are running out there has the highest offensive rating in NBA history at wow. 143.6. And the the second was that Warriors death lineup that had 141.2. And that's without two of your star players. So for as much as he he's stuck in his ways and doesn't necessarily maybe change his offensive sense or that he's stagnant, we've at least seen those same lineups produce. And yes, it does lead to them becoming predictable if you get a a, a very well um, or a very defensive minded coach. Yes, he probably does have the ability to strategize around it, especially in the playoffs when you're focused in on only one opponent instead of, you know, four in a week. But to his credit, him having those boring, plain vanilla offenses that give players freedom and, and, and choice in it has led to, as we're, you know, very high offensive outputs. Um, I think one of the added benefits of that too is that during these times, now this this two to three month period that will be without um, Nurk and CJ, you haven't just, Stotts hasn't changed his entire offensive approach. The basics are there. His principles are still there. So it's not like, hey, we have three-fifths of our starting lineup that has now been taught a new approach and yeah. the two return or two returning starters have to learn the new approach or you're telling three-fifths of the starters to hey we're going back to this forget everything for the last couple months you do have to keep some semblance of normalcy for lack of a better turn so that when you get to full strength everything is is what it should be. It's replicable and you've you've gotten the yes. reps in. Yeah, you've gotten the reps in on that system that even when the waters get choppy once they get smooth again, it, you can keep going. I, I had the same thing that one of his weaknesses was that his offenses have, are pretty basic, frankly, and same with the defenses. Um and I also think just to be, you know, really honest that what you were saying about his predictability in the playoffs, I think that's one of the most important you know, when we're talking about detriments, probably one of the mm-hmm. most important detriments is because ultimately you want your teams to be successful once you get to the playoffs. And yes. with a couple of exceptions, we have not seen the Blazers be able to be ultra adaptable and successful in the playoffs. And I think that a lot of people who end up landing on the I don't think Stotts is a good coach side point to that particular piece right there that he's not what he does is not conducive to playoff success as being one of yeah, the main he doesn't make a lot of that. adjustments right yeah. but I, I would also say and just to reiterate something you just said but, but i think it's important that like in the real world when players are coming in and out of the lineup and you're you're playing different teams that that point about if you have something that people don't need to overthink that they can do it again and again they can do it despite people being out that is important, and I also think it's important getting wins in the regular season to position yourself for the playoffs is also important, yeah. which is why, like, at the beginning of this season, I gave Olshay a lot of credit, somebody who I've criticized forever. I mean, you know, I gave Olshay yeah. a lot of credit for building a team that was very deep in a season where I thought that depth would be needed both because of COVID and because the games are so compressed. Lo and behold, the Blazers were able to rattle off six straight wins in part because of that depth, right? I mean, they weren't the best teams they were playing, but they got those wins banked and it helps their playoff position later in part because yeah. that that lineup was was deep 
Um, yeah, I, I had long said that, uh, you know, when as, as soon as CJ went out to combine with Nurk and, you know, we very rarely mentioned Zach Collins, but what he could have been this year brought to the team. But when CJ went out and we were looking at two months, I, I don't believe I was alone in having the line of thinking of that if the Blazers can just go 500 and just just don't you don't have to gain ground. But as long as you're not losing ground, you know, you can make a push at the end and we'll see where it goes. Um, so I always try to hold my expectations and my judgment to that. Yeah. They are well above that 500 mark with these two people out They're f- over 500 in general for the season. Still, um, you know, maybe that six game winning streak, maybe boosted people's confidence a little too much, but same as I hope that this losing streak that we're on now doesn't, you know, kill confidence too much, but there, there needs to be a balance and you got it. You always got to look at it in the context of the situation and the year that you're in and stuff. Yeah, I think that's true. And also that six game win streak, maybe it made expectations change in unreasonable ways. It also may end up being the difference at the end of the season between having to do a play in tournament as a seven seed or being locked in as a six seed, right? Like that's something that's important. Again, banking these wins during the regular season can really help you when you get to yeah. the playoffs. A couple more quick weaknesses of Stotts, a pet peeve of mine, his use of timeouts. I feel like Stotts, horrible. horrible. Yeah. Like he, like there are times where it's like, you need to kill the momentum of this game right now. And he calls the timeout like three plays later. That just drives me. It drives me crazy. I do think it may be related though, to that, that thing about like, he doesn't want to, he wants to give his players a chance to play through stuff. He doesn't want in the back of their mind thinking, Oh my gosh, he's good. He's about to call a timeout. I, I, but I think on the whole, that balance is not, it could be struck differently in my view. Um, yeah, and, and kind of similar to that, yeah. I think Stoss is – oh, yeah, go for it. Sorry. Oh. I was going to say, and uh, this year, his uh, use of challenges. He's right. really good at challenging the wrong play after the play <laughs> he should have challenged. It, uh, the amount of times I see on replay, which I understand being at home watching from my couch, I have much different angles than him, but he's also notorious for he won't decide on if he's going to challenge or not until he sees it up on the scoreboard, which uh, I've noticed that a lot of uh, home team arenas this year are not showing a lot of questionable replay calls up on their uh, up on their jumbotron for the opposing coach to be able to get a view. <laughs> I, I find that bit to be a funny tactic, but yeah, you'll see Stotts a lot and you're, we're like, okay, yeah, no the challenge. You should challenge that. And then he does not. And then the next play, you know, they, whoever goes up and argues, Oh, I didn't foul. And we're like, under no circumstance, challenge that. And then you see, Oh, Stotts is going to challenge. You're like, Oh, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not happy with that either. And, and sort of related to that, another weakness I think of Stotts is he doesn't seem willing to adjust his rotations when certain players are doing well, like his game management can be a little inflexible. Like if someone is doing really, really well, like a Nas little, um, mm-hmm. he'll, he'll pull them when to me, it seems like, why don't you just throw out what you were going to do and keep him in the game? Because he's, he's, you know, he feels good. He's feeling it. Like, um, I don't know. Uh, like, the, do you think that's a weakness? One- well, yes, yes, I do. But the Nas one, I know it's one that a lot of people point to this year because Nas has had a lot of really, really good runs. It's a it's a weird and tricky one for me. I try to stay away from criticizing his rotations with Nas. But that's also because at the tail end in the bubble last year, you know, he had that random bout of dehydration that put him out for a lot of bubble play. He went through COVID this year. 
I have zero clue if these are coaching decisions or if this is just more part and parcel with the Blazers trying to keep injury things and health concerns under wraps. Like, do maybe we don't know full ramifications. Like, Nas could be on. He's got a great four or five minute stretch going or whatever. But say he's just gassed and doesn't have it. Maybe it just he it it whatever possible lingering effects there are. So I try to stay away from the Nas one for using as an example. That's, that, that's, that's just my own personal thing. So take that. <laughs> That's fair. Take that out of it. It's something I've noticed for a long time. It, it, at least it seems that way mm-hmm. that when there are players who are not like a normal part of the rotation, they're doing well. Stotts will pull them anyway. And I've always kind of sitting there going like, come on, man, really? Um, you bring up something though. It's important that we don't always know the circumstances behind the scenes. So like when you and I are judging a coach and we're talking about, you know, what makes them good or bad, there are some things that we just don't have access to and never will. And I think that, Mm -hmm. like, it doesn't mean that our conclusions are wrong or the logic that we used to reach that conclusion was bad logic. I just think it's important to be imaginative. And, like, one example, you know, Carmelo Anthony, does anyone really doubt that Neil Olshay gave something that looks like a promise of a certain amount of playing time to Carmelo Anthony for him to re-sign in Portland? Does anyone think that that didn't happen? Because I definitely think it did, and I think that oh, maybe I, I mean it's it's been it's been well reported that it did happen. If you right. want to go from most of the reporters that tend to be Neil Olshay's mouthpieces, Woj, Dwight James, you know they, they've it's all but been confirmed. But yeah, I have seen people that still doubt it, but. So, and even leaving that one aside, so there you go, like, you know, your GM makes a promise to a player, you as the coach have to adapt to it. Let's say there's a player that says explicitly, you know, coach, I would prefer to be in for a longer stretch once than two shorter stretches. And like, it just racks their confidence. Like there are just some players you can see the way they get into a rhythm is different from other players. It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. the coach has to do that. It just means that when you're balancing a roster of like, I don't know if it's like 9, 10, 11 players in your rotation during the regular season, that there may be things that we as fans don't see that the coach has to weigh and they are doing their best to balance all of those things with their vision of what they think needs to happen, right? Like, I guess I'm just trying to say it's not to give anyone a pass. It's that being a leader, a supervisor, a manager, a coach, whether it's in basketball or anything else, you have to balance many, many different things that other people may not see. And it can be very, very Mm -hmm. difficult. And I will just say, I know this firsthand. Um, Yeah. it, it, It can be very, very hard. And so again, like I'm not saying give people a pass, for some of no. these things, I'm just saying it's a consideration. Um, and I would imagine it, it's it's slightly difficult, too, when you have, um, you know, the players that we do on our roster, you know, in the context of this year that seem to just be so yin and yang, like uh, two players in, in particular, uh, Rodney Hood and Carmelo Anthony. We have seen both of those guys look absolutely lights out one game and the next game be absolute 
garbage. Yeah. Can you imagine being an NBA coach on any team when you have to deal with players that have had as wildly inconsistent swings as we've seen from Carmelo Anthony and Rodney Hood? Like you right. try to game plan around that. Is this going to be the night that you have it going? Not, you know, we've seen, we have seen Stotts at least a little bit. Um, there was, there was right before that six game winning streak. Mello wasn't getting as much run in the second half. If he didn't have it going, Stotts was Stotts cut his minutes down. Uh, Rodney hood, you know, it, I, he's been swapped in and out of a lineup depending on how he's been doing you know so there is a little bit of adjustment there but i i could not imagine being an nba coach and having to coach through such wildly inconsistent swings like that yeah i think that's a really really important point um and it is true like the adage about there's a couple adages one of them is like the best ability is availability as an nba player being there is most important and then another one related to that is what you just said the thing a coach wants most is consistency that they would prefer a player that has a very tight range of potential outcomes to a player that could maybe get them up higher, but could swing below that because it just makes it a lot more difficult to plan as you were saying. Um, yeah. All right. So, so let's, let's take a look. Let's step back really quick. So we've talked about how we watch games and analyze them. We've talked about how to evaluate coaching and what factors go into that, the different things we take into account when we figure out whether or not a coach is good in our view. And then we've talked specifically about Terry Stotts' strengths and weaknesses. So I want to end it on this, the grand finale. Given all of that, in your view, do you think that Terry Stotts is the right coach for this team or not? Yes. Okay. Explain but it doesn't why. mean that I, it, it doesn't mean that I think he's a good coach or a great coach. I think he is a serviceable coach for the Blazers at this moment. Um, I agree that he can be stagnant at times. He is not defensive. Um, he has his issues, but I still think that he's the best that we have for right now. So wait a minute. I'm going to be kind of a jerk. Um, So you said, you know, the best that we have right now. So you. you... I knew you'd pick on that. I set you up. That's what what we call an assist here. Oh, for sure. But like, okay. But like, so I'm going to pretend to be one of those people on Twitter who is arguing with me because I don't know if you've seen my mentions lately, Ryan, but they've become a bit of a cesspool. I've had to use that block button quite a bit more lately than usual. Um, but let, let me take the other view. Like, don't you think the Blazers could do better? And if you think they could do better then explain to me why you just said that you think Terry Stotts is the right coach for this team right now, there has to be, some very important reason why you think that if you think they can also do better. Right. So explain that to me or else I will get in your mentions and yell at you and be mean to you. Apparently block. (laughs) I blocked you. The block button is a beautiful thing. Actually, (laughs) I never block anybody. I've been blocked. I, I've never, I've never disdained anybody or disagreed with their opinion strong enough to say, I don't even want to see your stuff. If I, if I disagree with your stuff, that, that, wholeheartedly 
I'm just, it's going to make me giggle every time I see it. So I don't block anybody. You are more emotionally mature than me, which is a strength of a coach. That is a sentence that has never been used to describe me ever in my life. So thank you, sir. <laughs> You're welcome. I, maybe I'm just super, super immature. But no, but really, like, if you think the that the Blazers could maybe do better, then why do you also think that Stotts is the right coach for this team right now? I think he's the right coach for this team right now because of... Dame, CJ, and Nurk, who we can all agree are our core three and the the future moving forward. Um, and they understand him. He understands them. There's buy-in all around. And so I, I, I try to glump it all into that, that they're one group. Um, I think he's getting the best out of those three players he possibly can. And as long as that is our core, as long as Damon CJ are our head two, I think Stotts, regardless of if it ends up being a detriment to the team or not, is the best player for or is the best coach for those players and can get the most out of them and get this team through them to succeed the most. I think that that's I think that's really fair. And here's why we talked earlier about all the different ways that we evaluate a coach. And one of them was the support and buy in of your best players. And here's what I want to suggest to anyone who's listening, that what Ryan just said, that you may value one of those things more than the other. So in Ryan's case, maybe he values Dame and CJ and Nurk's buy in because they're the Blazers best players values that more than other things. And that when you take that on the whole, you get to this answer of like Stotts is not the best coach in the world, but he's the right team for this coach right now. Um, I also want to make space to say that you could not value that as much. Maybe you value the schemes. Maybe you value the offensive sets for flexibility more than the potential to piss off Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum or Nurk. And therefore you take the same information and you come to a different conclusion. And like, I guess that like the whole point of us talking through this and and going as deep as we did about the analysis was just to suggest that you could have perfectly good reasons to fall on one side or the other of this issue because it's complicated. Like that's all. Yeah. Um, and I and I don't think you're wrong if you say that. And I think you kind of agree with me here too. I don't think you're wrong if you say that you know Stotts is Stotts should be replaced as the Blazers coach. I don't necessarily agree. Um, and I, I'm not going to care to try to debate you because you have your opinion. You obviously have what's important to you as, or what you want to see in a head coach of a basketball team. I have what's important to me. I'm not expecting you to change how I, how I watch and how I take in a basketball game or how I, you know, understand coaching and, and, and all and scheme and all that stuff. And I'm not going to try to change yours. Two people can be right about this. This is one of these rare instances where there are alternative facts that do, (laughs) that do fall in line. But oh, you not know, on just this show, if, my friend. If you if dare. you if you believe that the Blazers can do better than Stotts, then you're welcome to have that belief. I'm sure that there is a better coach out there than Terry Stotts for the Blazers. You got to find him. You got to get him. You got to pay him. You know. Right. And it's and it's I my one critique that I will say is that when you wanted when you want to throw out the comparison of oh well look at when the Warriors went from Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr. And that automatically made them so much better. 
I don't think so. And the famous example I point to is how many games did Steve Kerr just literally roll out the basketball and say, I didn't tell him anything. I just sat on the bench and let the players go. Right. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's fair. I do think that like, you know, I think it's hard to know how much a different coach would affect this team or any team. It definitely matters. And I would also agree, like, I'm going to try to leave my own personal opinion a little out of this because I want to have, I'm hoping to get somebody else to talk about the same topic who has, I think, different views um, uh, than either of us too. And and even you and I don't agree perfectly, but like, um, I do think it's hard to know how much a coach impacts the team. I think it's 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 fair to say that they definitely do and they definitely matter. I think Steve Kerr coming in mattered, but I also think there were other things, you know, the the growth of Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, of Draymond Green, the way the NBA was going to allow for a system like that to work really well. I think that was part of it too. Um, and I don't want to take away anything away from Steve Kerr, but yeah, I'm with you. Um, yeah. And Mike Richmond always says it best whenever I listen to lockdown blazers and Stott's conversations comes up. The top two things that an NBA coach is responsible for in the league is deciding who plays and when everything else is up to the 10 guys on the court. Yeah. I, I, I think that's really, really fair. Um, and with that, let's let's close this discussion and let's one more quick thing. We'll get you out of here um, just to and thank you, by the way, for this was probably the deepest I've ever gone into a conversation, really talking through how somebody looks at a Blazers related thing. So this was like a mm-hmm. new way of, of, of doing this podcast. So thank you for being a part of it. I appreciate it. Um, oh, th- thank you for, uh, thank you for having me be the, uh, the last minute replacement. It's always great to be the sixth man coming in. I'm sorry, man. It's just, it's to be the little peek behind the curtain. It was tough to, to schedule time this weekend. And I, I, I haven't done a podcast in a while and I needed to hold this time. So yeah, thank you for being flexible. I owe you a beer. Um, Hey, by the way, you know, COVID like we're getting the light is at the end of the tunnel. We actually heard from the governor um, recently that all adults should be able to get a vaccine by july i i'm personally guessing that's going to be a little sooner and so i'm like (laughs) yes like i'm ready to go back to normal so like i'm gonna buy you a beer and we can one last thing the blazers oh i hate the when i hate the when we can you technically can (laughs) i don't want to i don't i personally i'm not vaccinated there we go i don't feel comfortable yeah when i feel comfortable because i you know i'm relatively it's one one of my big yeah, it's it's only one okay. of my big pet peeves is when people say the the when we can as if you can't. Okay, it's that's a fair. decision at the moment, and you my, can make your decision accordingly. Yeah, my personal decision is I don't feel comfortable. Like I, I I relatively young and healthy, I probably would be okay if I got it. But to be totally honest, I don't I don't want to chance it. I so um yeah, I'm trying to be yeah. safe and blah blah blah. Last thing. The Blazers find themselves at 18 and 14. That's good for sixth in the West, although a lot of teams are clumped up together. Just really quick, given where they are this season, the teams they played, and the injuries they've had, which you can't ignore, how are you feeling about the prospects of this Blazers team moving forward? Compare it to this point in time last year. And and last year they were, you know, without uh, Nurk and Collins. And... They were absolutely abysmal and had to fight, especially when the season restarted, to make it to a playing game, to make it to the playoffs. So my optimism level is high because arguably CJ is a much bigger player to lose than um, than Collins was for the Blazers last year. Um, 
And so to be to be bouncing back and forth between this, you know, sixth spot and, you know, the fourth spot and kind of flirting with the third spot. Again, I'm ecstatic. And like I said earlier, I, I wanted 500 basketball while those two guys were out. Blazers have exceeded my expectations. Um, so that's going to leave me being optimistic, even if they play some horrendous basketball in between. <laughs> yeah, I I agree with basically everything you just said. That's how I view it, too. I think that they're in a good spot. It's not perfect. Um, it could be a lot worse. We see other teams that have suffered injuries or even not suffered as many injuries and are a lot worse off. The Boston Celtics are a game under 500, right? Like the Miami Heat are a game under 500. The Denver Nuggets have an MVP candidate on their team and they're doing worse than the Blazers are and they haven't had basically any injuries at all. And like, I think it's important. Well, the like, Nuggets late game shot choices need some work. Oh, um, that lap play. I, you know, I pin most of the blame on Jamal Murray. He should have gone to the basket. I think that was, everyone is like, oh, Michael Porter, Jr. should have gone towards the basket instead of going to the three-point line. I think I honestly think it was on Jamal Murray to drive. He should have put the there was one defender. You have to put the pressure on them. So anyway, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um <laughs> man, this was this was great. Thank you for taking the time. I always appreciate you. Um I think we're gonna wrap it there. If people wanted to find you on Twitter and get in your mentions and apparently never be blocked, good for you. Um or <laughs> <laughs> or they wanted to connect with your podcast, how would people do that? Uh, you can find all my basketball rantings at the uh, at blazer tag PDX handle on Twitter. Uh, I believe we're posting. I had three episodes that did not make it Two due to technical difficulties. One due to when I was editing it, I said, wow, we are way too drunk for this. And I just deleted it. No one will ever hear it. <laughs> oh, man. And, uh, and and yeah, but we're posting about once every other week or whatnot. I think we got an episode coming out next week. Um, if you want to hear any of my my individual rantings, which are even fewer and far between, you can find me at the witty Ryan. Um, uh, most I that is not my basketball space. You won't find a lot of basketball opinions there. So you can yell at me about other things and not get blocked from there as well. Brad, uh, check out Ryan. Check out the Blazer Tag Podcast. Ryan, appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Brandon. Thank you, as always, to our guest, Ryan Whitledge of the Blazer Tag Podcast. I always appreciate having him. I've said it before. I'll say it again. And I was telling him, I think off camera, this was like one of my favorite podcast to do Blazers related like ever just because thinking through the ways in which we evaluate stuff is it's so complicated but also like really important and like I'll admit like something I didn't talk about on the show like my views about Terry Stotts as a coach they have changed because there are people who have brought new information and made me think about things I didn't think about before and now I, I feel differently about it than I used to. And like, I think that's really important. Like as fans, when we are, you know, we should watch the games for fun. And when we have opinions about stuff, we should be totally okay with what we think yesterday, not being the same as what we think tomorrow. And I think that's important both just as a Blazers fan and in life. Um, so, okay. With that, if you want to reach out, to our podcast I Like the Blazers you can go to ilikethablazers.com you can also find us on like Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify Apple Music, wherever you can find your podcast we are there and uh, yeah thank you all for being here and until next time I am Brandon and go Blazers Blazers